You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coach. Did you know that a third of new teachers quit within the first three years on the job? A third out of any hallway with with six teachers in it or nine teachers. Can you think about that picture? A third of those classrooms empty. There are so many reasons for this problem of of teacher retention. Um, And it's a real problem for teachers. Teachers have spent a lot of time and money invested into their education. um, And where does that go when they are no longer interested in being an educator? There's the feeling of failure and a bad taste in their mouth um, that like about the schooling system that can now be shared with other people. And for the school, the school has also spent time and money onboarding and educating new teachers. And then whenever they have to fill those positions again with somebody else, they have to start over with all of that investment of onboarding. And there's also less continuity for kids because people who are always learning the ropes of a school, and if you have any kind of alignment practices and those teachers are learning those, um, those kids are not going to benefit from those practices because they're not going to they're going to have somebody who's barely getting started with them and maybe will have mastered them by the end of the year, um, but not somebody who already had them under their belt. So why do we lose so many teachers? You know, too many teachers just don't have the support that they need. They're thrown into a job after an internship or a student teaching experience. And maybe, you know, that had a great experience, but maybe not so much. And even if you had a good one, does that really prepare you for the realities of being your own in your own classroom by yourself with, you know, 20 some kids? Do you remember what it was like when you were a new teacher? You know, I've been really thinking back to that time. And so you're going to get <laughs> in this episode, you're going to get some of the highlights. <laughs> um, I started the year in a school that did not believe in textbooks. It was a public school, but all the textbooks were locked up in the gym lockers. And our um, principal was very focused on authentic teaching, which I don't have a problem with, except that we didn't really have the resources to do that in certain content areas because we were creating resources every single day. And for example, readability of text is a hard thing to do in social studies. This was, there were not as many books available at the time. Um, about some of these subjects. And so we were limited on resources because we were not using the resource that had been provided for us. Um, I'm not a huge textbook fan, but sometimes you need a text. And when you don't have one, it makes it hard to do your job. The school had little structure to the day. Like in classrooms, we were encouraged to make our own decisions using our professional judgment. But guess what? I didn't have very much professional judgment yet. I was a brand new teacher. So how did I know if it was a good idea to spend an extra hour on science today and not tomorrow? How would I, how did I make those, those judgments? That was kind of, I was making big decisions with very limited um, knowledge and experience. Management was kind of like Alfie Cohn style. I don't know if you remember who Alfie Cohn is. He's very focused on com- classroom community and um, building relationships. And it's not that that's not good information, but I I couldn't imagine how to access that and apply it in my own classroom because it seemed so much like a fairy tale. And there are elements of it that I do sometimes question how realistic they can be, to be completely honest. Um, But certainly that first year, I had no vision for that. I really struggled to make that um, work in my classroom. 
I had a mentor teacher, but as a classroom teacher, she was a classroom teacher, she wasn't able to be in my room very much. So I tend to show up well in meetings and workshops and be fairly reasonably well-spoken. So everybody thought I was doing great, but I wasn't. Um, my management was not great. Kids were not being self-directed in my room and I was giving them too many opportunities to be self-directed without enough structure and um, consistent expectations. So I thought the expectations were clear, but in retrospect, I was not being consistent enough and clear enough for kids to follow them every day. So there was too much space for freedom and not enough teaching about how to use that freedom. I was great at creating engaging lessons, but then I had trouble moving kids through sort of a gradual release model that was supportive of them to actually integrate the learning and become independent. And I also didn't really completely understand how to go from like abstract, uh, or sorry, for concrete hands-on lessons to a more abstract application. And so because of that, I was missing a lot of kids. A lot of kids were not learning what they needed to learn at the time. I struggled to be consistent with best practices and to manage my time well enough to get to things like guided reading every day because my whole group lessons were taking way too long. I wasn't going with, I was going with the flow of every teachable moment. If a kid had a question, I was like, let's explore it. And it's not that teachable moments are bad. It's that if that becomes your entire lesson, you have no longer taught the thing that you set out to teach. Some days can be like that, but when all days are like that, what are you, what, what program are you building there? What are you consistently providing to kids? How are you building their understanding? Um, so that really did not work for me at all. I, I was not able to manage that. Um, it was also too much whole group instruction and the kids weren't able to get the consistent practice they needed in small groups, which is where so much learning takes place. Hey coaches, I'm just gonna pop in here really fast because I wanna share something with you that I am so excited about. My course for elementary literacy coaches, The Confident Literacy Coach, is live. It's up and running and you can get access to it right now. So here's the deal. When I started out as a coach, I struggled. I had trouble defining my role and communicating it with teachers and administration, and I honestly didn't even know that was something I was going to have to do. I dreaded PLC days because getting my teachers to collaborate, to speak the same language and create lesson plans together was a total nightmare. And I was so stressed out by modeling and co-teaching in classrooms that I actually avoided it for a long time. It was not a happy time for me, <laughs> but things got so much better. I figured out processes to help my teams of teachers work together. I focused on best practices in reading and writing and identified some high impact strategies to support alignment on my campus. And I began to spend more time in classrooms after I planned thoroughly with teachers before lessons. Basically, I started coaching with confidence. I've collected all the processes and tools that I used to do this work and I've put it all together in one place so you can coach with confidence too. The Confident Literacy Coach is your one-stop shop for everything literacy coaching in elementary school. You'll learn how to define your role and communicate it to your administrator, what best practices you should spend your time on, and my process for collaborative planning, plus so much more that will take your coaching life from frustrated and overwhelmed to effective and confident. You can check it out at Buzzing with Miss B. Com. Just click the Confident Literacy Coach at the bottom of the latest post and you'll learn exactly what's in the course and why it will change your coaching for the better. I can't wait to see you there. So as I grew in experience and I began myself, I, I flipped over the tables practically from my first year to the second because my first year I felt like after afterwards I was like, you know what, that didn't work for me. And so I did a lot of thinking and made a lot of adjustments for my second year and added a lot of structure and purpose 
But over time, I started working with student teachers and I, I that having that experience helped me learn about what novice teachers needed. And so as a mentor to new teachers, when I became an instructional coach, I was able to spend more time in their classrooms. And so here are my top four things Oh, I said four, but then I added several more. So here are my top several things <laughs> to think about when you're coaching new teachers. First of all, like I always say, make sure your role is clearly defined. And I'm not going to get into that much here. Um, it's all in episode 23, how to share your role with teachers and let them know what it is that you're there to do. But new coaches can come in just like any other teacher. They can be excited to learn from you. They can also be not excited to learn from you and very resistant or sort of defensive. And so sharing that role will help teachers see what it is that you're there to do. So definitely make sure that you know your role well enough that you can share it with your teachers. Second thing to think about is if you can, begin your work before the first day of school. Um, this was a challenge for me after the first couple of years of coaching because at my district, they started to implement um, two weeks of workshops before we started working with, uh, before school started. So the two weeks before school, coaches were at workshops. And we had a couple of days to be on campus, but a lot of times those were reserved for planning meetings. And so that made it kind of tricky. But um, one of the things that we did that was actually really supportive of teachers before school started was we had uh, grade level planning sessions and I would facilitate those planning sessions. So we would plan for the first few weeks of school. So teachers kind of knew where they were headed at the beginning of the school year and they weren't scrambling to figure things out after the year started, especially if they were new to our school. So that's one thing I recommend. Um, you can visit the classrooms as teachers are setting up and make sure they kind of think through their spaces, especially your new teachers. Sometimes they can have trouble envisioning what spaces that they want in their classroom that will help them meet the initiatives and the core practices that really need to be considered for their classroom setup. So a really good book um, that can help you with that is Spaces and Places by Debbie Diller. I do recommend that. It's a great book for new teachers because it walks them through the process of thinking about what spaces they want. You can also help teachers create a schedule and then help them try it out when school starts. So build that relationship by being supportive and constructive early on, even before kids get there, because once kids get there, it's even harder to build that relationship. My third thing uh, to focus on with new teachers is focus on management early on and help teachers um, de develop rituals and routines and a schedule that can get their classroom running on a system and have some sort of consistency and predictability in that classroom. Help them build classroom community by interacting with them and serving as a model for teacher-student interactions and showing what can it look like whenever you redirect students? What can it look like when you introduce procedures? What can it look like whenever you have to um, teach a group how to work together? Focus an early coaching cycle on classroom management. That is a great place to start with a coaching cycle because that's going to be foundational to everything they do all year. And I actually have an opt-in for you, I mean, a, a little um, download for you. You can grab a download of um, a list of classroom procedures and some positive management strategies that teachers can use. And I really recommend it for new teachers because having that list of procedures is a great way to focus the first couple weeks of school, making kids know sh what is expected, sure, making sure, excuse me, that kids know what is expected and what the procedure needs to look like. And then it also includes directions on how to practice that. So definitely get that download in the show notes. You can check that out at buzzingwithmissb.com. And this is episode 31. So you can grab the show notes for that. Um, my fourth tip is to really work on lesson design. It's so important because... Teachers might 
know some best practices in terms of using hands-on tools, doing read-alouds, um, really having great discussions. But if they don't know where to put those in a sequence of instruction, if they're not familiar with a gradual release model, if they don't have an idea of how much um, exploration kids need, how much direct instruction, how much practice with support, how much independent practice, they might not have a way, a good idea of how to balance out those things and know when to move to the next thing. Sometimes new teachers tend to stick to the plan no matter what. And so they might not notice that kids need some more practice in something. And we really want to make sure that they have a really solid lesson plan that will help them be prepared for um, where their kids are in that learning process. We also want to make sure that they build in opportunities for kids to question and to apply. Because we need kids need to explore and question and figure things out, and then they need to apply it to other situations. Whenever we do all the work together and there's no independent application, kids often haven't really mastered anything. They've just been able to participate when somebody else is leading the work, but whenever they have to do it on their own, they're not able to do that. And that's, that's how they really transfer that learning to long term is whenever they themselves can do it. So we want to make sure that we build in those opportunities into the lesson plans. So focusing on lesson design with new teachers is a great focus. Another important focus is formative assessment. We want to make sure that teachers know how to create these small moments where kids can try their new skills and apply them. And the teacher can get an idea about how the kids are doing, and then they can use that to guide instruction. So little things like people love to use exit tickets, and those are fine. But if you wait to the end of your lesson to get a formative assessment, then what have kids been doing that whole time in between? So you can do an exit ticket as long as there have been other opportunities for formative assessment throughout your lessons. So building a few strategies, maybe not a huge bank because that can be overwhelming, but a few strategies that teachers know how to use and uh, throughout their lessons to get an idea of where kids are at any point is a really great way to approach um, a new teacher working with formative assessment. Let's identify three different strategies that we can use and let's just focus on those the first few weeks of school. I actually share one on the blog and you probably would have to search for it, um, but it was about using uh, question rings as a response. So every student in the classroom has a color-coded um, ring of color of, of cards. So the, you know those binder rings that you can get that you clip, they look like big hoop earrings. Um, you can get four different colors of index cards or you can cut up cardstock. On each card, you write either A, B, C, D. You can write yes on one and no on the other. You can write true on one and false on the other. Um, you can put whatever different kinds of answers that you think kids might need to provide to you. And then you hole punch them and put them on the ring. So now each child has a ring with four different colors of cards on it. So throughout the lesson, if you are wanting to see how kids are doing at any given point, you can say, okay, on the count of three, you're going to make a decision about your response and you're going to show me your card. So for example, if we say, what is the author's purpose of this text? If you think the author's purpose is to inform, I want you to show me the red card. If you think the author's purpose is to persuade, I want you to show me the blue card. And then you say, okay, make a decision. Kids get their cards ready. And then you say, show me. And bam, they all pop up their cards. You scan through. And if the purpose of the text is to persuade and you have 90% of your kids that think it's inf to inform, you know you've got some work to do there, right? You need to go back, reteach, try again. Give them more opportunities to try. Um, but if you don't know that kids have that misunderstanding, you can't address it. Well, that's the idea behind formative assessment, right? So we want to make sure that teachers, new teachers especially, know they can gather that information throughout the lesson and that they can use it to guide their consecutive instruction.
They also need support on in-depth knowledge of standards. So that's my sixth focus for new teachers. They need to dig into those standards and understand what it looks like, how it can be taught authentically, and what resources they have to teach that. They might have resources ready to go and they don't even know about them. They also need to know maybe what that standard would look like on an assessment or how it could be assessed. And um, if it's something that is going to be on maybe your state assessment or a high stakes assessment, they may need to know about that as well. You can really focus on what Crystal Cherisani calls the power standards, and I believe that's a great way to go about it. Um, Some states have identified those for you. In Texas, we call many standards that are most important. We call them readiness standards. Um, And other standards are supporting standards. So our readiness standards are some of the areas that you want to spend more of your time on. And supporting standards kind of help kids do the readiness standards. But it doesn't always work out that way on the test. But that's the idea um, behind those standards. So really focusing on the most essential things that teachers need to know at at the beginning of the year and helping them dig into those major standards so they get really familiar with them and know what they look like, how they can be taught, how they can be assessed, and what it's going to look like when kids master them. That is a great way to focus your energy at the beginning of the year too. And then the last tip is, you know, they need support in all the usual things. They need to know like logistics, how to enter grades, how to turn in data, where to find the stuff that they need, how often meetings are held and what they need to bring to those meetings, you know, Um, lunch and PE routines, especially in elementary school. (laughs) And what aspects of your campus are non-negotiable because some campuses have very specific policies about things. And if they're never taught those policies, they could be in violation and not even know. Another helpful thing to talk about in terms of like campus culture and how to get things done is how and when to communicate with administrators. And every campus is different. Some campuses have a procedure for contacting administrators. In my campus, the procedure was you walked into the office and asked the secretary, is she in? And if she was in, then you could pop your head in and see if she had a minute. And if not, it's, or if the door was closed, then you knew you had to come back or send an email. But everybody needs to know to learn how to do things on that campus. And you can help um, take away some of the stress of figuring those processes out by just explicitly sharing them with teachers and letting them know, those new teachers, exactly how to go about getting a hold of their administrators and what are some good ways to communicate with them effectively. So just really think about, you know, new teachers especially, they need that support system. And so we as coaches can make coming to work a place to where they can get the support that they need um, from us And from a community of teachers, we can help them by making introductions to other teachers. We can facilitate their team PLCs in a way that gives them a voice, but also gives them the support of other teachers um, to learn new things. And so as coaches, we actually can serve a really powerful role for those new teachers and making sure that we retain them, that they stick with the profession, that they feel empowered, that they learn what they need to learn, and that they have the tools at their disposal that they need. So my next steps for you are uh, to really take a step back and think about your new teachers. Where are they having the biggest challenges? And where, which areas can you address with them to make the biggest impact as soon as possible? Um, if you don't have any new teachers at this time, you might look at teachers who have maybe transferred from another school. Maybe they're new to your school, but not new to teaching. Maybe they're new to a grade level. Maybe they're new to a content area. Um, those teachers might also need a little bit of extra support too to make sure that they're um, hanging in there and getting what they need to be the best possible teachers they can be. Definitely head over to um, buzzingwithmissb.com to download that uh, coaching classroom management document 
it's especially powerful for new teachers, but actually you could use it for any teacher who could use a, um, a procedures refresher. <laughs> and, um, and I also want you to check out Coffee and Coaching. If you go to coffeeandcoachingmembership.com, you can learn more about the membership that I run with Nicole S. Turner of Simply Coaching. Um, sorry, Simply Teaching and Coaching. So Nicole and I work together to provide um, monthly professional developments through coffee and coaching, and they are available to be rewatched for our members. There are also monthly challenges, and there are other fun things that we do in the group. We also do a live um, Q&A once a month during our Facebook group. And so those are all opportunities that our coaches have to collaborate with each other, and I would love to see you there. So check out coffeeandcoachingmembership.com, and happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.